Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm Davey, one of your hosts, and joining me as a special co-host... Hey, y'all, it's Christy. Yeah, my beautiful wife, Christy. I love that you just said, hey, y'all. That's oh, amazing. you know, I mean, my husband's from the South. It's, it's just like kind of like... taking me back to my roots. <laughs> That's so, so good. I'm, I'm excited to have you here, babe. And, and speaking of going back to my roots, we actually have a guest on the podcast today, Derwin Gray, who hails from South Carolina. Mm, back to my roots. Yep. That's so where this y'all say, came from. He would say, hey, y'all. Yep. We hang That's out with all your South Carolina folks. And <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, Derwin Gray is a former professional NFL player, an author and a pastor. He actually used to play for, and you'll see if you're watching the YouTube of this, you will see he has Indianapolis Colts attire on. Come on. Okay. Because he played for the Colts. I'm and not he, really a huge fan. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't like even fake it. Yay, Colts. <laughs> oh, gosh. You are a basketball fan. Yes, that's, that's, basketball that's through and through. That's pretty much it, right? Yep. And then, uh, so he played for the Colts, and then he just recently spoke at the Colts um, uh, a chapel service or something, right, for the Colts. And so he had this Colts attire. He didn't even know it. I'm like, hey, dude, this is awesome. Very appropriate. You did this on purpose, right? He's like, oh, I, I had no idea. I forgot you guys were in Indianapolis. Oh. So, uh, but yeah, he's a he's a former professional NFL player and author, a pastor. He's currently the pastor of Transformational Church, which is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, mission-shaped community in Indian land, South Carolina, just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. So right on the North Carolina, South Carolina border. And his latest book is called How to Heal Our Racial Divide. Oh, I love that. So we're going to have some conversation ab- about that. And um, he, you know, it's just in a very interesting position to be able to talk about this um, as, a, as a pastor, as, as a black man who has been working through this himself and trying to help the church heal on racial, uh, th- this conversation of racial reconciliation. We devoted to you a long time ago. We were going to continue to have these conversations. And so I'm excited that we're able to bring Pastor Derwin Gray on. Um, not just that, he and I go way back. So it's just really good to be able to have this conversation with him. Afterwards, though, Chris... I want to catch up with you because mm-hmm. you got a lot going on in your life right now. Yep, there's a ton. I feel like we're ships passing in the night, right? And that's was- been busy. It's been crazy. <laughs> the Blackburn House, yes. Uh, and so I know our listeners want to catch up on what's going on in your life too. So stick around afterwards because we're going to talk about some major updates that have been going on in Christy's life. You'll get to hear from her in her heart. So let's go ahead and dive into this conversation I have with Derwin Gray. Pastor Derwin Gray, great to have you on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Man, I've been looking forward to this conversation. You know, I've I've just I've loved and admired your ministry and, and your faithfulness from afar. And, and we've had a couple of chances just to say hi and 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 I'm glad to get to know you a little bit more and and, and our and our community gets the benefit of us getting to know each other a little bit more. It's really great. Well, thank you, brother. It's good to connect. The last time we saw each other was years ago at a conference at uh, at New Spring. And so I really appreciate uh, your faithfulness to God's grace and how you've allowed the Lord to take your pain and uh, to make purpose. Because that's one thing that all of us have in common is that in a broken world, uh, pain is going to knock on all of our doors. And I am so glad Jesus is there 
to redeem that pain That's and right. even bring out of that pain a mm. greater purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know, and, and, I, and, I, and you know, this as a pastor too, this is the, the area that I feel like the enemy tries to attack people the most. It's where he Absolutely. gets them stuck, where he gets them, you know, he can't, he can't steal our salvation, right? He can't steal what only God can give, but he can neutralize our effectiveness. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and the reality is even, even Jesus himself, right? In, mm-hmm. in his humanity, he's the, he's the eternal son of God, but in his humanity, he's the last Adam. He's the mm-hmm. true, the truest of the true of us is what it means to be a human. Right. But even in the garden of Gethsemane, he's in such anxiety and such angst that he says, you know, disciples, don't go to sleep on me. I need yeah. you. And father, would you, would you take this cup from me, but not my will, thy will be done. Mm-hmm. And I think where the enemy gets believers at is getting us to think that the new heavens and new earth has already arrived, Mm. and it hasn't. We are new creations created for that world, but we're still new creations in this old world. And in this old world, there is shrapnel, there there is pain, there is unimaginable hurt. And if it was not for the resurrection of Jesus and his present power, I don't see how people get through it. Mm. A vision of the future empowers what you do today. A vision of the future gives you enough hope for the moment. Mm. And uh, God God recycles. Um, yeah. When I think of some of the most gut-wrenching, difficult things, in that moment, I didn't, what I just needed was presence. What I ne- needed was, I needed to hear my grandmother's voice when she says, baby, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Right. And I haven't heard that since 2006 when she passed away. Mm. Um, and so, but God is kind. God is great. And we have a God who himself took pain that's right. and repurposed it. Yep. That's right. I love it, man. I love it. Well, you know, there, there may be some of our folks who are listening right now and they're, they're wondering, who is Derwin Gray? Can you give us kind of a, just a brief synopsis of, uh, you know, your life and, and, and maybe even a little bit of your story. Cause I'm sure we'll use some of that story as a launch pad as we have this conversation on racial reconciliation in the church. Yeah, man. Uh, I am Vicky's husband. We've been together 32 years and May 23rd will be 30 years. I'm Presley's dad and Jeremiah's dad. She's 25. He's 21. Uh, love my kids. I'm the co-founder along with my wife, of Transformation Church. We're a 12-year-old, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church. Our church looks like uh, every nation, tribe, and tongue. We're unified in Jesus. We are unapologetically life, death, resurrection people. We are shaped by who Jesus is, and we want to multiply that to the ends of the earth. Uh, I didn't grow up in church, neither did my wife. I grew up in San Antonio, Texas on the west side, grew up on welfare, getting government cheese, lots of uh, brokenness, lots of dysfunction, really no believers in the family. And so growing up as a kid, at about age 13, I told my grandmother, I said, I don't want to be like the rest of my family. And I knew that football was my way out. So mm-hmm. I loved it. Football, being from Texas, football is just like breathing. Yeah. <laughs> but it was more than a game for me. Football, what I loved about it is that there were rules. Mm. And if you played within the rules and you worked at your position, you could have a measure of control. Mm. All of the rest of my life was chaotic, but football gave me a measure of control. 
but then it also made me better. And then it's then it taught me if you work hard, good things can happen. And the good thing was I can go to college and then maybe I can go to the NFL. I didn't really start thinking about the NFL until probably my sophomore year in college. But I ended up going to Brigham Young University. <laughs> so here I am, black dude from a multi-ethnic context of San Antonio. And then I go to Provo, Utah, <laughs> that is unapologetically super white Mormon. And yeah. white Mormonness is a different type of whiteness altogether. <laughs> that is true. But in God's providence, it was so good for me because I had to learn other cultures. Mm. And when you learn other people's cultures, you begin to value them and you begin to love them. That's great. So uh, freshman year, met my wife. She's on the track team. She threw the javelin. And we were together. We've, we've been together ever since. I had a great career. She had a great career. We were like Mr. and Mrs. BYU. People loved us. <laughs> I ended up getting drafted by the Indianapolis Colts, That's which right. I'm representing very hey, if well you're today. on YouTube right now, you can see he's got his Colts attire on. <laughs> yeah, and this was not planned. Um, I did the team chapel for the Colts, and they yes. sent me some gear. So I'm rocking my old team. But anyway, I get drafted. I get drafted in 1993, and uh, it was miserable. Mm. I mean, it was utterly miserable. I, I thought football was going to be that. The NFL was like my heaven, and that first year was a living hell. I didn't get along with my teammates. Uh, I went from being a big fish in a small pond to being a guppy in the Atlantic Ocean, didn't mm. play much, didn't get along with my teammates. It was rough. But by 1995, I'm in my bag. I'm a team captain. I'm doing my thing. Not really interested in faith because I believed I was a good person. <clears throat> but God is so good that he placed a missionary in the locker room. Uh, his name was Steve Grant. Uh, by day, he was a linebacker. By <laughs> night, he was sharing Jesus with everybody. But the way he shared Jesus with everybody was rather unique. After practice, we all took showers. We dried off. And he would wrap a towel around his waist and get his Bible and ask us, do you know Jesus? Mm. And I'm going like, bro, do you know you're half naked? <laughs> and so I found out from the veterans, his nickname was the Naked Preacher. <clears throat> and so through the course of five years, I watched him live the gospel. I listened to him preach the gospel. Mm. And through the kingdom that I had built, it began to crumble. Um, I couldn't love my wife the way she deserved to be loved. I couldn't forgive my dad for abandoning me. I live with fear because who am I going to be when the NFL is over? Um, the money I thought was going to fix my family made it worse. And then I knew there were things I needed to be forgiven for, but I didn't know how to get that. Mm. I was having like an existential crisis. Yeah. I was at the top of life only to realize I'd climbed a mountain to nowhere. Wow. So on August 2nd, 1997, it was in training camp, my fifth year. We were in Anderson, Indiana at Anderson <laughs> University. Yeah. And after lunchtime, I was walking back to my dorm room. And uh, it was like a, a Grand Canyon-sized hole in my soul. That's mm -hmm. the best way I could describe it. I get to my dorm room, and back then the phones were still connected to the wall. There wasn't no cell, cell phones. So I called my wife and I said, I want to be more committed to you. And then I said, I want to be committed to Jesus. Mm. And that's when I was born again. Like I literally, I felt new creation. It was like God just 
showered me with love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and kindness. I was just undone for three nights before bed. I would just cry and I would say things like, Jesus, are you sure you want me? Mm. Like, do you know everything that I've done? And, and it's like, well, of course he knows. He only comes for people like you yeah. who are sinners. Yeah. Like, we don't clean ourselves up. His blood cleans us up. That's right. We don't prove ourselves to him. He proves his love to us. We mm. don't reach up for him. He reaches down to us. Mm. And man, uh, I met Jesus and I haven't been the same since. And I love him more today than I did then. And so that was 1997. 1998, I signed as a free agent with the Carolina Panthers. So we moved to Charlotte. I played in three games <clears throat> and I tore my knee up <clears throat> mm. and um, I couldn't play. I was mad. Mm. I couldn't play. I was just angry. So I was like, okay, God, I'm not going to pray for a day. So I had to rehab my knee and read the Bible. And so as I rehabbed my knee and read the Bible, everything I learned, I had to share. I'm like, this is the greatest news in the world. So I became like a spiritual leader in the locker room with the Panthers. And in 1999, my wife and I both decided, man, I'm done with the NFL. People said, well, what are you going to do? We said, we don't know. And I started getting invitations to go and speak. And I really wrestled with God because I grew up as a compulsive stutterer. Mm. Why would God want me, a compulsive stutterer, to go and speak? Wow. And I remember for one event, which was like my first event, I was in a shower just like, Lord, you know how painful this is. People make fun of me. I'm not good at speaking. Send someone else. I'll pray. I'll give money. And I didn't hear a voice, but I just sensed God say, listen, if I can raise my son from the dead, I can raise your tongue to talk. But you have to go to see the miracle. Wow. Wow. So me and my wife and our little daughter at the time that was two went down there to South Carolina I had note cards in my pockets and I was crying the whole time and note cards literally fought, were falling out on the ground. I'd pick them up and read it. And uh, I didn't know I was doing an invitation, but I invited pe people to experience what I experienced. And um, at the end of that day, hundreds of kids prayed to receive Christ. Wow. Then people started calling me to speak. And uh, my wife would organize the speaking engagements. I'd go and speak. We turned it into a 501c3 nonprofit called One Heart at a Time. And we did that from 1999 to 2005. And about 2005, both of us about the same time began to get uncomfortable with what we saw in the church. Mm. We didn't understand why when we were out partying in the nightclub, it looked like every nation, tribe, and tongue. Revelation 5-9 mm. in the nightclub. Wow. But Jesus's club was a white church mm. or a black church. And Christians seemed to be okay with that, that they actually modeled their ministries to create homogeneous churches. Now, I understand mm. what the black church, the black church exists because of racism in the white church. And so mm. black people needed somewhere to worship. Um. But it was like churches were intentionally uh, unreconciled racially. And as my wife and I read the Bible, not growing up in church, we're like, hold on, hold on, wait, wait, wait. The New Testament says Jews and Gentiles were the early church. Wow. A Jew is a Jew and a Gentile is everybody else. So 
if this is what God prescribed then, this is what God prescribes now. That's right. And we would get a lot of just messed up answers. And we sense God saying, don't criticize, create. Mm. And on February 7, 2010, we launched uh, Transformation Church. Wow. Wow. You know, I mean, first of all, what an incredible journey to get to the place that you are right now. Obviously seeing the thread of, you know, what looks like this awful thing happening, you know, in your, in your football career, you're, you're, you're set up with an injury, but the Lord's using that as a redirection into a new calling. I mean, just, just remarkable. And then this Moses crisis that you're having, right? Where you're like, how am I going to go and speak? You know, I can't. And God's like, uh, yeah, you know, it's not about who you are to I am and what I've made, I've made Mm -hmm. you and I've built you for this and, Mm -hmm. uh, trust me. Mm -hmm. And then obviously, you know, the ministry that's flown, that, that has flowed out of that. But then this, this moment where you're realizing kind of this crisis of why, why does it seem like out there is more integrated than in here in terms of the church? Yeah. Yeah. And, and not only why is it that way? Why is Christians okay mm. with it that way? Yeah. And then historically, when you look at the church in America, oftentimes it has been white Christians who have been supportive of right. enslaving people made in the image of God, supportive right. of Jim Crow and segregation, mm. supportive of even now not even addressing systemic yeah. issues of racial injustice. And let me just pause here for anybody who says systemic racial injustice doesn't exist. Mm. That's a denial of two fundamental core tenets of the faith. Number one, total depravity. Mm. Every human being is broken. So if broken wow. human beings are operating systems in the world wow. and in our co- co- country, that brokenness is going to leak. And then number two, the Apostle Paul prayed in Ephesians 6.10, put on the full armor of God because there are dark powers and principalities. Mm-hmm. And so if there's total depravity, dark powers and principalities and right. Christians who will walk in the flesh, you best believe that systemic racial injustice is a reality when you look at from... Um, uh, gosh, good gracious! When you look look look, look at uh, the penal system yeah. and how a lot of people in prison are in prison, not because they're guilty, because they couldn't afford a good right. lawyer, but even even in the church, like for me, I'm excited about where <clears throat> the church has come from. Even when I first started ministry, is like mm. no one wanted to even talk about these issues. Yeah. So I do think that we have we have come a long way, but what I'm proposing is there are deeper levels of discipleship that we can go to teach us to love in such a way mm. that it actually reflects the kingdom of God. Wow. Wow. Okay, well let's let's get into the nitty-gritty of this because this has obviously been a conversation that's been in vogue since you know in 2020 um with the the killing of George Floyd that has become something that has really stirred this up, this conversation. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like it was, it, it was a hot conversation for a while and then it subsided, which seems to me is something that kind of has happened cyclically in history, mm-hmm. but we're still having this, right? We're still talking about this kind of, we're still trying to lean into this. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit from your own experience, not just observationally of the church, but from your own experience, how you have experienced <clears throat> Uh, racism 
and maybe yeah. in, in the church. Yeah. So let me let me just add one addition to what you you said. This conversation. Uh, did not arise because of George Floyd. Mm. This is a conversation that black evangelicals have been having. Yeah. I can I can go back to the 1800s. Right. Um, there there's a a sermon in Urbana um, that was done by an African American pastor in 1971, the year that I was born. I've mm. I listened to it once about every few years, and I'm going. I'm literally saying the same things yeah. that he was saying, and this has been 50 years. And so I just want to add that mm. this is a conversation that white evangelicals have been having. I mean, the black evangelicals have been having saying, hey, guys, uh, this is intrinsic to yeah. the gospel. Yeah. This isn't like, no, no, this is a part of our faith. So, for example, for me in seminary, <clears throat> Whenever black preachers or theologians were communicated, it was always in a negative light. It was like, well, we're not sure Dr. King was saved. You know, he mm. may or may not had affairs. We're, we're not sure he's saved. But the same type of inquiry morally was not presented towards Jonathan Edwards, who mm. owned slaves. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it wasn't presented towards Karl Barth, who had his mistress live in his home for over 30 years having an wow. affair. Wow. It was it was like white theologians would kind of get a well they were men of the time. Mm. But if you talked about a black scholar or if you were referencing black theology, well it's emotional, it's that and let me be very clear. Mm. Some of the most faithful preachers in this country are black. Mm. And will exegete the text, will wear out the Greek syntax, uh, will, I mean, are absolutely phenomenal, yep. but it's almost this undergirding of uh, white supremacy. When I say white supremacy, I don't mean hoods and cloaks and swastikas. I mean, well, of course, you know, black theology is this way. And by the way, why is it called black theology and why isn't white theology called mm. white theology? Mm. So black the so in, in in school black theologians it would be black theology but for European scholars and American scholars that are white it's just theology as though it's normative wow. whereas when you look at history Saint Augustine was African mm -hmm. Athanasius was African mm. uh, the oldest Christian communities in the world are in Africa mm. let's not forget that the Ethiopian eunuch got saved and went into Africa with the gospel. Right. Like right. the gospel was in Africa, Northern Africa. And, and, and so wow. it's, it's like, let's not look at our faith myopically. Like yeah. another time yeah. I was uh, with a group of church planners. Uh, I was the only black guy. Uh, the other, the other guys were white and the district superintendent was a Puerto Rican guy. And so they were asking about our churches, and I was explaining how uh, we are a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church. The re reason why is the great commandment, love God, love your neighbors, you love yourself. Well, your neighbor is going to be multi-ethnic, multi-generational. So when we planted Transformation Church, I didn't think I had the option to not try to reach everybody in that footprint mm. because the 
eternal reality in a new heaven and new earth is going to be every nation, tribe, and tongue. So we're supposed to practice on earth what we're supposed to do for eternity. So I'm sharing it. I'm laying out theology. I'm going through it. I get done. And all these white pastors give give me pushback, but none of them from scripture. Mm. A lot of it, what I'm finding out now is if you really go after gospel-centered racial reconciliation, white people will leave your church. Right. They'll take their money. After George Floyd, I had some very powerful white pastors Mm. reach out to me saying, we talked about racism for two weeks, and now we're being called woke. Uh, We're being called liberal, and people are leaving. I I had one friend in six Mm. months, a million dollars from his budget was gone. And he goes, why is this happening? And I just said, well, respectfully, what you catch them with is what you keep them with. Mm. You haven't given them a steady palette of this biblically and exegetically. So people feel like it's a bait and switch. But also there's a lot of prejudice and racist people. Right. Yep. And um, so 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 that was very discouraging for me in that room with the other church players. Planners, but I knew that if I raised my voice, if I got passionate, I'd be the angry black guy. Mm. So the Puerto Rican superintendent just said, uh, Brothers, Derwin is right biblically. Mm. And that's the future of the church. The future of the church is every nation, tribe, and tongue together around Christ. And that is what we're called to do that the gospel. That's right brings people together. The gospel unites. What we like to say here at Transformation Church is this, is Jesus not only forgives sins, but he creates a family of brothers and sisters with different colored skins. Mm. Man, so good. Well, you know, it it goes back uh, in in a lot of ways. We're so geocentric, especially like white European America, right? We just, we think we're like the center of the universe when the reality is, is, we're absolutely not. And um, it goes back to what you were saying in your experience at, at BYU, where all of a sudden you started learning a different culture. And so you started understanding mm-hmm. and empathizing with a different culture. You started, uh, ha- you know, loving a different culture. Mm-hmm. And, and like, you you know, we, we as white Americans, we are not well-versed in this whatsoever. And mm-hmm. what it's led to is so much uh, generational trauma, systemic fractures in, in the, in the, you know, the systems that are being set up as well as, I mean, oppression, we can call it oppression too. But, you know, we talk often on the podcast about trauma and we talk a lot about, you know, loss and grief and divorce and pain and all that kind of stuff. But one of the things that, you know, we also try to talk about is racial trauma and the effects that it has on entire communities generationally. Can, can you speak to that a little bit and what, you know, what should the church do to really dive in and address this issue? Because that's real trauma. Yeah, it is. You know, the first thing is I know that there are people listening going, well, uh, Derwin, Davey, listen, I haven't traumatized anybody. I Mm. haven't done those things. So therefore, I don't know what you're talking about. And what I would just like to say is just pause for a moment and think about this. In eternity, the Father, Son, and Spirit And the council of God said, listen, our image bearers are going to make a mess of things Mm -hmm. and they're going to need to be rescued. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine Jesus saying, hey, Father and Holy Spirit, look, I'm holy. I have no sin. 
It is not my problem. It does not affect me at all. Wow. No, Jesus <laughs> comes to be the solution to the problem, even though he didn't cause the problem. Wow. And when we begin to live gospel-centered lives, it means if my brothers and sisters of a different ethnicity are experiencing injustice and oppression and pain as their brother and sister, it is my job yeah. to be a solution to that problem. Yeah. One of one, 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 one things that I'll find is at our church is we'll have white brothers and sisters who have adopted black kids. Hmm. And particularly black boys, when black boys are young, they're cute and cuddly. But when they hit about 15, 16, they go from cute to a threat. Yeah. And a lot of those white parents will, will say, Pastor, hmm. we had no idea that prejudice and racism was this bad because right. our white kids get treated a certain way and our black kids would be treated a certain way. And, and our black son is the most gentle and loving and kind wow. than our white kids. But People judge him before that and treat him a certain way. We never, ever knew. And mm -hmm. I'll just lovingly say, how could you have not known black Christians have been telling you this for mm -hmm. generations? People tend to not know until the problem knocks on their door. Right. And what I'm proposing is when we truly love each other, when we see our brothers and sisters in pain, their pain is our pain. Yeah. Theologically, the Bible says we are the body of Christ, and if one member hurts, we all hurt. I'm a preacher just for a moment. It wow. is time for the body of Christ in America to stop selling its soul hmm. to Republicans and Democrats. Republicans and Democrats care about power, yeah. not service, not sacrifice. We are not the elephant we're not the donkey. Mm. We are the people of the Lamb of God, and His kingdom right. is contrary to any man-made establishment. So therefore, I love my MAGA-loving uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. I mm. love my Democratic brothers and sisters in Christ, because what we have in common through the blood is greater than a political ideology. And the reality is Republicans and Democrats are two sides of the same coin, mm. both beholden to multinational corporations. Before wow. President Biden got elected, a lot of my young uh, uh, Christian friends were, he's going to change the border policy. Nope. He did the same thing mm. Donald Trump is doing. Mm. So don't put your hope in a political candidate. Yeah. Our hope is not in the White House. Our hope is at the right hand of the Father. Right. His hands are nail pierced. He is interceding on our behalf, and he is calling us to be the body of Christ. And for too long, we have allowed dark demonic forces to divide what Jesus has bled to unite. Mm. And what I'm calling people to is a manifesto to be the church and what it means mm. that the good news of Jesus this good news yep. is that when Jesus rose out of the tomb, he brought out sisters and brothers that are black, Asian, Latino, mm. native, indigenous, whatever your ethnicity is, you are a part of this multicolored family, and that's where our allegiance is. That's so good. Okay. 
The Nothing is Wasted team is so excited to tell you about a brand new opportunity. Have you ever wanted to meet with one of our certified coaches, but either time or resources has prevented you from taking the next step in your healing journey? We understand that these are real barriers for many of our listeners. Therefore, for the first time ever, we are offering group coaching. With group coaching, you'll receive six one-hour sessions, And the sessions are offered at a fraction of the investment when compared to our one-on-one coaching. Group coaching also allows you direct access to our Nothing Is Wasted certified coaches, helpful course materials, six group coaching sessions, and connections with others who understand your story. We are offering three unique group coaching opportunities this spring, making your way through the early stages of grief, pain to purpose, and uncovering and recovering from your trauma. We pray that you'll consider being part of this limited time offer and take intentional steps towards your healing journey. To learn more and to register, visit nothingiswasted.com forward slash group coaching. Spots are limited and our group coaching sessions start the week of April 18th. So don't delay in signing up. We look forward to seeing you then. You know, what you're saying, uh, kind of drawing back to what you were talking about, Jesus stepping into our pain, right? Suffering on behalf of other people. That is what he's called us to. It says that he reconciled us to God so that we now have the ministry of reconciliation. Well, the, the ministry of reconciliation requires that we step into pain with other people. And I love that, yeah. you know, when we, we see a picture of Jesus and his righteous anger for injustice. When he's flipping tables at the in the temple— you know, it's because of injustice that's being done to his people, this overtaxation yes. of the temple tax and all of the, you know, in the sacrificial system. That's why he was angry Amen. on behalf of God's people being oppressed unjustly. And then when, yeah. when injustice is done to him, well, well, can, can, yeah, can, go for it. can we pause there? Because mm-hmm. that's one of the things that I highlight in my book, How to Heal Our Racial D- D- Divide. Yeah. The Jewish temple during the first century the Sadducees had bought booths of offerings mm. from the Romans. And so what they would do is they would overcharge the Gentiles and overcharge the Jews on their sacrifices and make them buy new sacrifices. Jesus sees that and he quotes the prophet Isaiah. You've turned my father's house into a den of mm. thieves. That is systemic racial injustice. Wow. They were keeping the Gentiles from Yahweh. They were keeping other Jews from Yahweh. And the Sadducees had power to buy these booths. And so when Jesus overturns the tables, he's saying systemic racial injustice is a sin. It is keeping my people. Mm. And this included Gentiles who worshiped Yahweh. And so that's an example when people say there's no systemic injustice, it's right there in the Bible. And I highlight and bring out a lot of those things. And this is what I want to say to folks is when you allow this type of discipleship to shape you Mm. and to form you, it is so much better than a self-centered discipleship where it's okay, God, you're going to fix my problems. You're going to help me. You're going to heal me. It's me, 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 me. God doesn't want to transform Derwin Gray just for me. He transforms me to be a good brother in his family. My transformation don't even belong to me. My transformation belongs to him for the we, because when we love him and each other, the world will go, 
God the Father did send Jesus. Wow. Wow. That's what, that's what I love about this book that you've written. You know, it's this whole idea of, okay, so how to heal our racial divide. We can, we can talk about this. And bring right here, these baby. Things. There it is. I got a copy. <laughs> we can bring these things to light, but many pastors are, and, and church leaders and just people having conversations at a coffee shop are experiencing the same thing that you, you, you described in that, you know, they'll try to have the conversation and then it's met with resistance. You know, they'll try to bring up some of these things. It's met with resistance. So how do we go about whether it's on an interpersonal level, yeah. whether it's on a, a platform leadership level, organizational leadership, how do we go about yeah. actually healing this massive divide that's happened in the church? Yeah. And, and, and so the reason why I wrote how to heal our racial divide is I wanted to give people a playbook so when I played in high school, one of the first lessons I, l- I learned is if you know your playbook, you can play well in the game. That's good. If you know your opponent's playbook through scouting, you can play great in the game. Hmm. So that followed me all the way to the NFL. So what I've done and how to heal our racial divide is I've taken God's playbook from Genesis to Revelation, and I have shown this unified theme that Jesus is a redeemer and rescuer mm. of all humanity because God the Father made a promise to Abraham. He said, Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless all the nations. I'm going to give you this big old family. So God is promising Abraham a big multi-ethnic family, and Jesus says, Dad, I got you through my mm. life, through my death, through my resurrection. I'm going to give you this family, and this family, as they love each other Mm. are going to reflect your glory into the world. Wow. And so I've written how to heal our racial divide to really submerge people in the story of God. Mm -hmm. And as we're submerged into the story of God, his story becomes ours. And at the end of every chapter is a prayer, something to think about, questions to answer, and then a gospel practice to do. I'm literally giving people practices, but before I give you the practices, I give you the biblical story, I give you the gospel, I give you cultural examples. And so I'm painstakingly walking people through, and a lot of my life story is in it, but above all, it's Jesus's story. And people need to understand, this issue matters to Jesus because all sin matters to Jesus. And the devil loves the divide and Jesus came to unite. So the Mm. way you do it is number one, you pray and say, God, teach me, let it overflow out of me. Um, Study this in small groups and Mm. then begin to live it out because most people who are hostile, it's because of fear. Mm. So for example, um, so my wife is a white girl from Montana that throws the javelin. Her family's <laughs> from Denmark, so she's straight up Viking, right? Wow. <laughs> I mean, I just, I mean, she's just amazing, okay. um, just amazing. And so when we started dating, we were thinking about getting married. Her stepdad, who is a Montana white man, mm-hmm. he really didn't trust me, and I really didn't trust him because fear. Mm. Fear was, is he racist? Fear for him is, well, is he going to treat my daughter like the black man who treated me in the military? When he was Mm. in the military, he was in a barracks with all white 
guys, and there was one black guy, and he protected the black guy. Well, he and the black guy got transferred to all black barracks, and the black guy left him. Oh, wow. And so he was carrying that trauma and mm. pain. So check this out. If we don't allow God to heal our wounds, we're going to bleed over people who didn't cut us. And wow. so 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 wow. so he's bleeding on me and I'm frankly I'm bleeding on him. Yeah. But when my wife and I got saved, we recognized we need to lead them to the Lord. So on a trip to Disney World, our kids were small. My wife and I literally locked, <laughs> we literally locked her mom and stepdad in a room and my wife shared the gospel with, with, with them and his life began to change. Wow. Um, he had a couple heart attacks and on a family vacation, he asked me to come talk to him in his RV and we sat down and he said, uh, he said, son, I want to apologize to you. Mm. You're a good man. I see the way you love my daughter. And I I took out things that happened in my past on you, and that wow. was wrong. Will you forgive me? And I'm honored that you're my son. Wow. And from that moment, we literally, we literally became like best friends. Mm. I would take him golfing. He'd hang out with me and my NFL buddies, and he'd teach us all kind of Montana cuss words. It was great. <laughs> and man, we we were just tight, and he loved me. He was so proud of me. I mean, he was so proud of me. And then even towards the end of his life, dialysis, he was getting old. We couldn't golf together anymore. So we just sit by the couch and we just talk. And um, he passed away about five years ago. Mm. And he wanted to make sure he goes, I want you to preach the gospel at my funeral because no one preaches the gospel like you. Wow. And so it was primarily my wife and I leading the service along with his pastor. But my point in saying that is, 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 is this. Fear undergirds a lot of this issue. That's right. And 1 John 14 says, perfect love casts out all fear. Right. Healing our racial divide is actually our sanctification. And not everybody's going to get it and not everybody wants to get it. But there are a lot of people of goodwill that want to get it. And I wrote this book mm. for them. Mm. It, 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 it will transform your theological imagination. Your understanding of the gospel will mm. grow and your passion to love people will grow. Mm. That's so good. So good. Derwin, I got you know one more question. I know our time's kind of running short here, but, uh, you know, you, you talk about kind of the difference between two theologies here, a colorblind theology and a color blessed, being color blessed disciples. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, I, I, I feel like that if, if you're walking around, you know, even if you don't even realize it, but with, with a lens that is, is so narrow focused and, and myopic and saying, no, you know, I, I and you have this racism lens going on and you're like, I don't want to, you know, talk, uh, you are missing. You're only seeing a sliver of of God's kingdom and what it was intended to be, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, multiple nations does not mean something has gone wrong, right? And now there's. Yeah. It means this is how God created it. To unpack that theology for me. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So um, I'll give a story. I was actually working on how to heal our racial divide in the coffee shop, and an older white man noticed that I was writing, and he said, "Hey, uh, what are you doing?" I said, well, I'm working on my future book. It's called How to Heal Our Racial Divide. And he goes, 
is there a racial divide in America? I don't I don't see color. Hmm. And I just said, uh, why not? I said, you know, God made me this beautiful cocoa carmody color with my culture, and he made you with your color and your culture. Um, he wouldn't have made us the way we are if he didn't want us to appreciate and see our color, because within every color, within every culture is the image of God. And when we say, I don't see color, we're actually muting. Yeah a part of God's creative genius. And whenever we mute a part of God's creative genius, we're actually muting our own growth. Wow. And I said, I get the sentimentalism of what you're saying, but for a person of color to deny that you see us is to deny that you see all of us. Mm. And no, I want you to know that I'm a black man. I want you to know where I'm from. And I want to know where you're from because your difference and my difference makes us different for the better. Mm. And so after I explained that, he just kind of looked at me and said, yeah, that made sense. And then as we began to talk, it was very clear that, no, you had some racial underpinnings. Mm. And so we began to talk about those things. But color, colorblind ideology also acts like a kind of a spiritual sleeping aid, because if you don't see color, then you don't see the people affected negatively yeah. because you don't see their color. But yeah. when you're alive to some, someone else, like, for example, with Ukraine, mm-hmm. I mean, the outpouring for Ukrainian refugees is massive, which it should be. Right, right. But my question is, Russia did the same thing in Syria— Mm. But the Syrian refugees are not looked at the same mm. because they're not Euro- European. We mm. have at the United States border, we also have refugees from countries in Latin America where it's not because of Vladimir Putin, it's because of drug lords, mm. and they're seeking asylum as well. Why is it that the European refugees are being welcomed all over Europe, wow. but yet when it came to Syria— and Russia did the same thing there, there's a different perspective. So even within that, you see echoes of white supremacy, even Mm -hmm. in something good. And so I told our church, I said, listen, we have supported refugees from Syria. We've supported refugees from Latin America. We have supported refugees from Ukraine. You know why? Because all refugees, regardless of their ethnicity, are made in the image and likeness of God and are of equal value. Right. Right. Colorblindness mutes that. Mm. And I've never seen another white person go to another white person. I don't see your color because white people do have color Mm. and they do have culture. Wow. So good. So good. Pastor Derwin Gray, thank you so much for spending some time and sharing with us. I'm so excited for this book and for what it's going to do to, um, to really help to bridge this gap. I mean, I know this is this is something that is centuries old, and like you've been, like you said, um, especially black theologians have been talking about this for years and years and years and years and years. Uh, and I really, I really do hope that that we're moving the needle on this on this conversation, and that we're going to see some actual change. I know this book is going to do something to really um, help continue that conversation, and and so I appreciate you spending time and sharing with our community. Where can we follow what you're doing and get more connected with you? 
Yeah, just go to derwinellgray.com, derwinellgray.com. That's gray with an A. You can get me on all the socials uh, at derwinellgray. Also, the book is How to Heal Our Racial Divide. I appreciate the support, the the, the, the gospel partnership. And I wrote it in such a way, it's like me sitting over coffee with Mm. you, like your personal pastor. Love it. Love it. Well, thanks so much for spending time with us today, man. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Well, babe, what'd you think about that? That was great. Thought it was awesome. He um, just, I mean, obviously a very, very passionate person. And here's what I love when, when, you know, when he says that their church is multi-ethnic and multi-generational, he means it. There's so many times that churches will tout that, but that's not really the case. Mm-hmm. You don't actually see a representation of all, you know, many tribes, many nations, um, many ethnicities, many colors, many races. We, we, you don't see that oftentimes yeah. in church. In fact, it's the most, feels like the most segregated time of the week is on Sundays. And he he alluded to that. Um, but I love that even out of his own pain and what he has been, what he's gone through, that God's God's using that to to stir up a movement and to bring reconciliation to people all over the all over the state of South Carolina, all over the country. Yep, to embrace the, your differences at yeah. the end of the day. I think that's what's so beautiful about it. We can be so different, and we can see the differences and be united in those differences. That's right. Yeah, one of that's my favorite right. things that he said was actually um, when he talked about if we don't allow God to heal our wounds, we are going to bleed over people who didn't cut us. Mm. That was <laughs> such a good saying because wow. at, the, at the end of the day, that is so true. And I don't think we realize sometimes the visceral response that we'll have, the emotional response yeah. we have when we see an injustice done to other people sometimes we'll just come and just like kind of vomit or spew on them all this oozing toxicity that's happened because we've been hurt in that area. I didn't even realize the effect that it had on me when I had different wounds. I remember going to all these different mission trips Mm -hmm. and mine wasn't out of toxicity, but it became a savior complex. Mm. And so it was like, I'm going to save all the people who have gone and experienced the same things that I've experienced. And so I felt like if I could save them, I could in a way save myself instead of working through the issues. And so I do think that when we, when we aren't allowing those wounds to be healed, it can come out in so many ways. And usually the ways are a negative visceral response towards someone who didn't even hurt you in the first place. Yeah. You know, that's a good point. Like we, we talk about going from pain to purpose and that out of your greatest pain, you're going to begin to realize your purpose. You're going to start walking in your purpose. And so many times, that purpose for people is I don't want someone else to go through the same thing that I've gone through. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you overstep, like if you, if you step over your own healing yep. in an effort to go and practice this purpose or, or carry this thing out, like you said, yep. on a savior complex, it actually can undo you later. Yes. Right. Because you're taking on this weight and this burden that your own, your own being is not strong enough to carry. It wasn't meant for you to carry. Yeah, It wasn't yep. meant for you to carry in the first place, but also like your care, you, because you haven't healed yourself your character, you don't have enough fortitude of strength to be able to step into those situations in a healthy way, in a, in a way that brings healing. That for so, them. So you yep. won't realize that you'll just be, you know, as my counselor said, you'll be oozing all yep. over people. I love the way Derwin said it. You're just going to bleed all over people. Yep. And that's not a, that's not a healthy way either. So it's like the linear process that has to happen here for all of us is we have to heal through our pain. Yes. And then as we heal through our pain, then we can help other people heal. 
I think the biggest question from that a lot of people might have right now is then what does it look like when I am healed? When does it look like that mm. I can step into that next purpose-filled life right. that I'm bringing purpose to my pain? And I remember asking my counselor that. It was like a year into it. Mm. And I'm like, man, am I healed yet? Like, period, <laughs> you know, past tense. And she was like, well, I mean, no, like if you think about this, it's a healing process. Yeah. But I guess like the question is like, when do you know, like, I don't know if I'll ever be healed, mm. you know, past tense, but when is my healing in a healthy position where I can't help others? Yeah. And I think that's where you have a wise counselor with you. You have friends who are telling you, you, the ways that you can see it yourself is like those red light indicators when right. something comes your way and you're not having that visceral triggered response towards something uh, to the aggressive heightened level that it used to yeah. once be. Yeah. And sometimes you, I, I still get triggered and it's been years since some of my things and I've worked through so many past wounds. Um, and so it's not like, oh, Chris, you can never go out in the battlefield again. You can never you know, bring right, purpose right. and go in the mission field and everything like that. But it's what I do when I'm triggered. Mm. Do I have the, the tools? Do I have the capability of working through those and then bringing healthy, um, healthy aspects to other yeah. people? And so if you're bleeding, if you're oozing, then obviously that's not the best option yeah. and you're probably not in a place to help others. But I do think there's a time and a place for everything. Yeah, and so God good. will tell you. That's so good. You know, Chris, one of the things I love that we get to do, and I tell people this all the time, is that you and I, our, our mission as a family is to help people heal, right? That's what we feel like. You know, Ezekiel 47, 12 is our kind of life verse, it feels like. That was our first verse when we first got married was, you know, that, the, that their fruit and their leaves would be for healing um, and, and for helping other people. And so, yeah. you know, we get to do that with Nothing Is Wasted together. Um, you've been, you know, involved in that to varying degrees and stuff, especially at the very beginning as we're getting things started up. So we yeah. get to do that with the emotional um, and, 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 and mental health side of things and spiritual health side of things. But you're doing that now with the physical side of things, yep. that's always been a passion of yours. And the Lord's allowing you to step into that space on multiple fronts. Why don't you give us a little bit of a life update? I know some of our listeners would love to hear from you on what's going on with you. You've started this practice. You've got a meal plan that's re in that's released and is releasing every single month. Uh, just talk to me a little bit about both of those things. Yeah. Start with the practice. Yeah. Well, I remember coming out of PA school, like, okay, so excited. Like, God, I can't wait. I've been working my whole life for this. And he immediately said, stay home. And I mm. remember that a lot of people just could not understand it. Like strangers on my DMs would be like, why are you staying home and you have a PA degree? And I think that's just the confusing thing about God is he he gives us confusing things that does not make any sense but he knows the bigger picture yeah. when he told me to stay home it's like when you think about it my kids didn't have stability at that point you know coming from a divorce coming from trauma or blending a family blending a yep. family losing you know my son losing his mom like there's just a lot with that and i knew like when god told me to stay home it made sense to stay at home because of the fact they needed a consistent caregiver right. consistent guidelines consistent routine um and it killed me. I mean, really, yeah. like when people are like, oh, look at you doing all this and you're a homeschooling mom, like it it sanctified me more than most things could have. Mm -hmm. And it was such a growing experience. And what I tell people is it was a daily living of the gospel yeah. with my children and it was needed and it was beautiful. And I said I would not practice out of practice until it was a place that I felt I could give and do health care, yeah. like really care for my patients. And um, what was really neat is like, I think three years later, God brings this man named uh, Dr. 
Dr. D. Bonnie mm-hmm. um, and his wife, Megan. And they were just like, we have this practice. And it, I mean, everything on the checklist that I asked God yeah. that I needed in a practice, they basically said this was what this was going yeah. to be. Um, and so I got to be a part of that. And so it's a, it's a place where... Um, People can come and just get direct patient care, which that's what I want for them. And not only just that, we don't just give medicine to people uh, immediately when they have an ailment. We actually listen to them. We sit down. Uh, they say that the normal cycle times for patients is like seven minutes. Yeah, it's like, fast. You see your doctor and you're like, oh, okay. I didn't even right. tell you. I didn't even scratch the surface. <laughs> yeah. But we'll sit down for the first appointment. And I'm there for an hour to an hour yeah. and a half with each of my patients, just really listening to them. And one woman, I remember she just cried to me like, Christy, no one has ever just sat down and just listened listen to what's going on with me. I'm like, and I just told her, we're going to figure it out. And what's so neat is what I do before every single patient. I I don't feel equipped, uh, you know, and I just pray that God like, will just give me the answer. What lab do I need to give for them? What, um, you know, what trail do I need to go down with them? And what's so beautiful is there's, there's patients that have said they have never been able to go to a doctor and get healing from them. Every doctor will say, Hey, there's just nothing else we can do. And what's neat is these patients are the ones being healed. Right. Right. These are, people with, you know, seemingly chronic diseases, things that, uh, you know, most doctors are not able to, to touch. And you guys are doing an incredible job of, of really running through the gamut of all the tests and triangulating what is, what is actually going on here. Listening to them. I think that's the biggest thing. You're your best patient. I mean, you yourself are the best doctor for yourself. And so if you can listen to that patient they know what's going on. You just right. have to understand what's going on with them. But what's neat is not even just that. God has just given us the clarity of which direction to go with yeah. them. And so it's been so much fun doing that. And with that, I've been also coaching different people right, right. online because God <laughs> opened doors with that too. It's been crazy. Right. And it's super cool. And you're helping those people heal. They're not actually your patient. So you're not able to give them like medical no. advice, but you're coaching them through some health practices that are, uh, I mean, dynamic transformations that are happening in people. Well, I'm a researcher at heart. That was what what my uh, undergrad was, was just uh, years of research. That was my scholarship. And with that, it helps you to understand what research is actually unbiased and actually really good evidence-based research. And because with this research, I keep on going back to everything keeps on pointing back to the garden. Mm. I know I say it a lot, but um, how I help my patients, how I help my coaching clients is I just simplify all the diets that are out there. And I just say, if you go back to the garden, what you mean by that is the garden of Eden, Yes, the way God intended us to eat food, not just eat food, but practice our rhythms of life. You think about what they did. They woke up, they were naked. They were barefoot. I like that. I like that. I think we need to go back to the garden. Go back to that. I don't know if we'd be appropriate doing that, but yeah, they were barefoot walking around in soil, in grass that was not treated with chemicals and pesticides. And they were eating straight from the tree when the, when the food was ripe, they were Mm. um, eating mostly plant-based at that time. Um, I think that we, the research that Dave and I have done in scripture is saying that they did not eat meat at that time. Um, and then when Abraham came along, that's when they did the new covenant about eating do meat. Do a whole podcast episode yes. talking about this. <laughs> yes. But that was how it was meant. Like our genetics, our DNA, the way we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be in yeah. that morning sun. That sun is very healing. We were supposed to be one with creation, with our creator, and that would bring us back to our creator. And so when I tell people to eat specifically that way, not, we don't do no meat, but- No, we eat, definitely eat meat. We eat meat because <laughs> now it's, we can't yeah, just, yeah. we cannot eat meat. But yeah, when we go back to that way, it's crazy how quick- 
all of their labs will turn back around right. and go straight back to health. Because yeah. it, it took us years to get to unhealth. That's yeah. why I tell people it can take 10, 20 years to get to be unhealthy, where you have liver issues, where you have lipopenal right. issues, where your cholesterol is high, triglycerides, all that takes years. But it can take weeks to just a month yeah. to reverse all your symptoms with just diet the way he intended. It's amazing what I've been learning from you on how God created our bodies to naturally detox and mm-hmm. heal. It's just this these pathways that he's created within our body. And yet, the, because of so much societal um, uh, interjection with all of the different, like you said, pesticides and you know all these different things that we're putting in food and hormones and all this stuff that's really trying to short circuit the process, really trying to feed Ooh, a, a whole bunch of people. That could be a people. whole podcast right Man, there. Man, <laughs> I'm telling you, really trying to feed all of these people and like make it really quick and easy and simple. Well, that yep. quick and easy and simple is actually leading to a detriment of our health yes. across the board. And everybody knows, I mean, every Everybody sees this, like all the studies say, especially in America, we are the least healthy country yep. that there is across the board because of our eating habits. And yet yep. we're continually, because it's quick, it's easy, it's simple, it's convenient. And because our our lifestyle is so busy that it's just a lot more convenient to go through the drive through at McDonald's or at Wendy's. And now we're pumping our bodies full of these really unhealthy foods. And, and, and over years... It ends up majorly, you know, um, uh, deteriorating our health, right? Yeah, we can detox to a certain point. And once our bodies can't uh, detox from that toxin load and that toxin burden, that's when it manifests into disease. Yeah. Which actually, and again, we could talk about this for the hour. We need to do a podcast, babe, just me and you about this kind of stuff, <laughs> yeah. right? That, and it, so listen, if you're listening to this and you want to hear more from Christy on health, feed that back to us because we're talking about considering maybe her doing a podcast where she can talk through some of this stuff on like physical health and wellness. But, um, the, the thing is, is this, this also, you know, these toxins and stuff also adversely affect your mental and emotional health as oh, well. I mean, it's called the ways. eight dimensions of wellness and right. scientists are finding this out and psychologists and all these different people. And we can realize that even in scripture, it was talking about this, like baby on my, on my uh, course that I give, yeah. you talk about the, um, Elijah, right. Right. Do you want to describe kind of like with that? Uh, yeah, I mean, basically Elijah was, was going so fast and so hard at such a, um, a mock six pace that he ended up getting burnt out and he wanted to die. I mean, there was some major depression that was going on there. And then we see that God treated him first with what we call common grace with uh, food and a nap (laughs) over and over. (laughs) So he treated him physically first and then he was able to dispel the lies mentally and emotionally that Elijah was telling himself. And so that there's was three a holistic different approach. dimensions right there. Yeah, yeah, there's a holistic approach that we have to take. And this is why the Pain to Purpose course in um, Waypoint 6, I believe it is. Say Waypoint 6? Waypoint. Yes. I, think it's I don't six. remember which waypoint it is. I should know which waypoint it is. <laughs> You're on the pain to purpose course, and we talk about the importance of building physical rhythms that are going to help us heal, right? That it help us heal from our trauma, our tragedies, our major life transitions, and that are going to provide ongoing wholeness. And so what you've had happen is you've had these patients and these coaching clients who have continually asked you, okay, can you just give me a plan? Give me a meal plan. And you've resisted that because you've said, well, hold on. Um, I want to teach you how to fish, not just fish for you, essentially, right? I want to teach you the mindset and what you need to do, you know, and so you can kind of be creative within that. But the more and more people kept asking you, I need a plan, I need a plan, I need a plan. You finally succeeded and you're like, you know what? People are busy. They need someone to put this together for them. A stepwise approach. So kind of giving it to them, teaching them still how to fish, and then eventually letting letting them do, you know, try to figure it out on their own as well of how to meal plan themselves. But if you give them that stepping stone, it really 
really, really helps. And what's crazy about it is that um, one of my coaching clients having thyroid issues, fatigue, I mean, crazy, crazy, crazy loss of energy. I mean, um, she felt so overwhelmed. Um, I was just like, here, take this March meal plan, just do it for a week, mm-hmm. see what happens. She ends up doing it for two weeks straight. She the, the next call I jumped on with her, she was just such a different person already. Like inflammation was down. Puffiness around her eyes was down. She had so much energy. And I said, well, what happened? She was, Christy, like I am so much better. It's absolutely crazy that only two weeks and I haven't really changed much except changed my food that I was making at night into healthy food that weight, like, you know, with your meal plan. Wow. And, um, she ended up losing seven pounds in two weeks as well. I mean, it's just wild when you think about it, but it's like you go back to God's rhythms, the way he meant for us to live and to eat. And it's, it's, it makes sense. He doesn't want us to be unhealthy. He doesn't want us to have, be like the zombie. Another thing you were saying is about just that mental health aspect. Um, and you were talking about with Elijah. And so I had a patient, actually a coaching client, um, who had, lost her husband mm. just a few months before she took my course and um, went on the, on a 10 scale from, you know, one to 10 being like, how uh, depressed were you? She would say it was an eight. She was very mm. depressed, just kind of, she had two kids. She was just kind of working through everything, trying to figure everything out. And then I was like, okay, I don't have a meal plan, but here's one resource I would give. Just go yeah. ahead and try to do this diet, see what happens. Uh, she jumps on the call after doing the diet. And this was like a 10 day diet. And it was all holistic foods, basically yeah. taking out any allergy type foods, any foods of inflammation. Um, and she comes back on and she was glowing. And wow. every girl in the course was like, what's going on? Wow. And she just said, you know, on that one to 10 scale, she's like maybe a two or a three. Um, and that she just felt so much better and she had so much more motivation. And it really shows like, yes, you can be grieving something. There could be something traumatic going on yeah. in your life. The body keeps the score. But right. when you change some of the other dimensions of wellness, it will actually help yeah. boost the other areas right. of wellness in your life. That's right. And we talk about this extensively in the Pain to Purpose course. We talk about it. You talk about it extensively, obviously, in your um, Simply Wellness course, which is the name is probably going to be changed, mm-hmm. right? Because now you're, you, you know, the name that you're kind of a, 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 a adopting to all of this stuff is Linen and Roots. Yeah. Linen and Roots. And, and we, we don't have time to talk about yeah. why. Well, again, we need to do an entire podcast because we're already <laughs> 17 minutes into oh, this no. thing. And so we're going to talk <laughs> some more about this, Chris. But, um, you know, w- one of the things I'm passionate about, f- you know, with you is helping people to understand holistic yes. healing practices and really addressing the eight dimensions of wellness because God created us as holistic beings. Yes. And what we found with this meal plan, we follow this meal plan, right? Yep. This is something that we practice as a family. And uh, oftentimes, um, as Stephen Covey talks about it, we we tend to, as human beings, we tend to attend to the urgent over the important. Mm. And there are some things that are not urgent right now, but are extremely important that if we don't attend to those things, then they will become urgent. So yes. if we don't attend to our physical health, if we don't take care of our, our, our temple, right? The, the, our, our body is a temple. If we don't take care of that steward that well, then over, you know, uh, some period of time, we may not notice it, but I promise you, eventually you're going to notice it and it leads to an emergency of health. And that's where, unfortunately, a lot of folks are coming to you going, I don't know what to do. I'm in an emergency of health. You're giving them this protocol. You're giving yeah. them this meal plan, and it's it's drastically changing things. Yeah. I wonder what would happen if people just adopted this as a lifestyle. 
if they just said, hey, this is kind of the lifestyle that we're going to lead. Wonder how much more purpose people could live out, oh, how yeah. much more effectiveness people could have for the kingdom, how much more health and wholeness people could operate in. It'd yeah. be wild. Well, I worked with the church staff and some of them, it was like a, a, a gift to them from one of their leaders that yeah. they were going to go through this course. And one of them was like, I don't really want to do this, you know, but he just went ahead and did it. And he didn't feel like he had any health issues. Like his family was fine. But I think we get in this numb like state. Yeah. We don't realize that we're not doing well. Um, and then he started doing these things. He started implementing these practices that I was teaching about. And he was like, Christy, our whole life is different. Our whole mm. family is different. Not even just like I lost weight. I don't even care about that piece. That's like the added bonus I tell people. Yeah. It's not about losing weight. It's the added bonus that's what happens when you actually are in a healthy rhythm right. and healthy lifestyle. Yeah. But he was like, I just have more energy. We're so vain in American society. Oh, like, I lost weight. Yeah, that's the <laughs> main motivation. <laughs> but even us, like the only reason I started doing this was for Natalia, yeah. our my, you know, our daughter who had an autoimmune disorder, and really all of us had some kind of issue when we had no idea, but it yeah. wasn't urgent. And so for me, I wouldn't have implemented these practices if it wasn't for my daughter with her yeah, illness. And yeah. so for me, though, when I realized all the benefits I was getting, I was like, why would I stop this? This wow. is something that I we need to continue doing and keep this as a lifestyle practice. It's so good. But the biggest thing for me, though, my purpose in all of it, mm. it's not just to heal your body. You think about what is our purpose here on earth right. and it's to say Jesus name and tell people about Jesus right. and to live on mission. And if we are constantly having health issues yeah. and constantly are fatigued and we constantly are, you know, being pulled aside and having to do all that, that's the enemy neutralizing us for the kingdom. And so So my whole purpose is getting you back on the path that God has called for you, your lane that he has called you to, because every one of us has different lanes Mm. and getting you on that lane and doing it in a whole light and free way that he's called you to be not in chains, but to be light and free in this. I love that. I love that, babe. Um, Chrissy's going to be back with us for the next episode where we um, interview actually a, a missionary couple from Ukraine. Yes. And um, this was actually kind of Christy's brainchild. She's the one that reached out, wanted to have this conversation. And we were all like, yeah, absolutely. This is a crisis that we need to talk about. Um, so, Chris, thanks for joining me on this particular episode. And, and, and I'm excited to talk to you some more about um, things on next episode. I want to, before we close, I want to highlight a couple things. Group coaching. You guys have probably seen this. If you're following anything, nothing is wasted ministries. Group coaching uh, registration ends. If you're listening to this in real time, when we release it on April 24th <laughs> or on April 14th, it ends tomorrow. So you still have a little bit of time to sign up for group coaching. There's three different offerings for that. Make sure you jump in on that. want to make sure that you're also pointed to our um, community platform, both community, community plus, um, there's all kinds of great stuff there. Nothing is wasted.com slash community. We just do not believe that you can do this alone. I want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Um, <clears throat> you can also go and follow us at Nothing is Wasted Ministries. Follow me at Davey Blackburn. You can follow Aubrey at Aub Samp. You can follow Christy at christy.blackburn.niw, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> or just Google, or not Google, Instagram search Christy Blackburn. I'm sure it'll <laughs> pop up. Um, Christy, we can also find all this stuff at christyblackburn.com, yep. right? Yep. Uh, christyblackburn.com. You can also go to linenandroots.com. Yep. That, that'll also take the you there. The cookbook, the course, and, the meal yep. plan, all that's there. Everything, yep. cookbook, course, meal plan, all of this stuff. I'm super excited about all these things that you're, you're doing right now, babe. Next week, I'm not even going to try to pronounce their names. But this missionary couple from Ukraine, do you know, do you have the last name? Okay, so we have Yuri and Madison, but um, I mean, the last name is like, per, per, I don't per, know. Per, no. I don't know. We're not going to try to pronounce it, but go ahead and listen to this little clip of this conversation that Christy and I have with Yuri and Madison.
Eight years ago was when the war really started, and I, I kind of did a poll uh, asking people, and about half of the people did not know that that was the, the case. Mm-hmm. You know, half the people I asked said that they just thought it started three weeks ago. So um, we had desired to move back to Ukraine, realized Lugansk was not going to be an option. Yuri's family had to flee along with probably a million other displaced Ukrainians who moved somewhere else in Ukraine or to Europe. And we finally set a date. And so since April 2018, we have lived in Odessa, Ukraine, which is the port city on the Black Sea. Mm-hmm. So Europe always says it's kind of like New Orleans. It's multicultural. It's a port yeah. city. It's really important location. And we we really love being in Odessa. So um, we, to be honest, I mean, on February 23rd, our answer was nothing's, nothing really big is going to happen. <laughs> 